I had an interesting experience this past week. I was involved in a product launch with a content creator who I really respect, Amy Porterfield. Now, if you follow me on other channels, you will know that we were part of Amy's launch of her Digital Course Academy, a online course about teaching courses. I agree, kind of meta. Uh, but the reaction of my community and also my reaction to how my community reacted is what is interesting. There was a little bit of pushback to how aggressive and salesy parts of the process were for people who attended our webinar and were considering purchasing the course. And it got, brought me right back to one of the biggest challenges that I faced at the very beginning of becoming an online and social marketer. And that was the sleazy side of online marketing. I was determined to be an ethical online marketer if I was going to be an online marketer at all. So today on Gray Matters, we are going to discuss what is ethical online marketing. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for those of us in the gray zone. What is the gray zone? Primarily baby boomers and Gen X, those of us sporting a touch of gray. We're interested in finding our place in the digital age. On this podcast, we will learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, all from our perspective. The world's changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore. We're facing the prospect of a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need a side hustle to take our experience and put it to work for us. We need to develop mad skills, adapt, and evolve in order to remain relevant in the digital age. I can help. This podcast can help. I'm glad you found us. When I first made the transition from television to online, one of the things that I promised myself, and actually one of the things that held me back the most from jumping with both feet into the world of online marketing and content marketing was the rather sleazy nature of many of the online marketers who I had experienced and certainly was experiencing as I was looking at the entire format. It really, my reputation was far more important to me than the potential revenue benefits of being engaged in this process. So I really was at a difficult crossroads. But I also recognized that there were ethical online marketers that I could follow and that I could set my own standards for what was right and what was wrong. Now imagine many of you, if you're looking at beginning a side hustle, and we're at that stage in life where we're looking at the opportunities in the online space, are kind of facing the same crossroads, are facing the same challenge, where you're fascinated by the potential of the online world, what it represents, the, the just what it can do for you, and what you can do for others in this online space, but you don't wanna be painted by the same brush as so many of these online marketers who you lose respect for almost instantly, you recognize the manipulative tactics that they take, and you just don't want to be part and parcel of that entire scene. I get that. I get that so profoundly, to the point that with uh, the last M uh, webinar that we did with Amy Porterfield, we had 1,500 people or so signed up for that webinar. It was a good training, but it was a little bit salesy at the end, and Amy definitely followed a sales formula in the webinar at the end as she was doing her offer. Now, that's something that I don't do, but some members of our community were off-put by it, and I completely get that and completely understand that. But what I think we all need to recognize is we don't need, you don't need to do that in order to be successful. 
However, having said that, we can take a look at the more unethical practices or ones that we don't feel comfortable with, and we can ask ourselves the question, why do they work? What works in those practices? And what can I take from that? And what can I apply in an ethical fashion, if possible? So that's what we're going to talk about in this, today's podcast, is ethical online marketing. So I'm going to talk about the things that I find offensive or that I won't do, but then also, why do they work? Why are people willing to give up? I mean, everybody recognizes when they do a manipulative technique that they're doing that manipulative technique. Now, some people maybe just don't have a soul, and it's no big deal to them whether or not <laughs> whether or not they're perceived that way. But for the rest of us, what works in it? What makes it so good? And what can we learn from that? Okay, a little a little bit of a history lesson. Many of the unethical practices or think practices that I consider to be unethical, all were created by a group uh, either fondly or irreverently called the syndicate. This is a group of all guys who really figured out the entire social engineering of online selling and how to manipulate sales and how to create vast wealth for them, at least uh, in, in, in a variety of these sales techniques. And they've, they've engendered a huge following. Uh, there's, whole, uh, there's whole communities that are dedicated to the kind of systems that these guys put in place. What I'll do is I'll put a, some, some great articles on the history of the syndicate and how they, how they grew, kind of almost fol folklore now. But I'll share a link in the show notes. If you are interested in the notes from this show and these links, I encourage you to visit dottotech.com forward slash gray six. This is episode number six of Gray Matters, and that's gray, G-R-E-Y. So dottotech.com forward slash gray six and all of the links that I talk about and any resources from this podcast will be there for you to to access. Now, let's get on to the uh, to the what the syndicate created, the this unethical world that you and I feel uncomfortable with. And before we begin though with the actual unethical practices, I have to throw one caveat out there. Depending on what your age is, if you're like me a baby boomer, more and more of the world gets irritating to us for no good reason. And it's easy for us to mix up things that are merely irritating with things that are unethical. So things that are irritating, let me give you some examples of things that kind of fall into this space, but I don't think are completely unethical practices. They're irritating practices. You probably prefer not to engage with them yourself, but they don't, they don't disqualify us from having a relationship in the future. Things like clickbait. Clickbait is when you have a title of a, of a video or a podcast, which is salacious in some way. And it creates either controversy and, and, and typically speaking, when you click on clickbait, the payoff is less than what you were hoping for. Uh, the, the, the headline was more exciting than the actual delivery. So the clickbaiting is irritating, hardly, uh, hardly unethical. And we all participate in it uh, from time to time. Sometimes we try and make our titles enticing, and it's easy to cross over into that clickbaiting area for everything, from blog posts to, to webinar titles. Twitter, things like, and Twitter autofollow and replies, where people do automatic replies. And I tell you what's increasingly irritating for many of us today are these chatbots, where you're talking to a machine and not a person. Irritating, not yet what I would classify as unethical. 
pop-ups on websites. Uh, they're irritating. And you know something? That's something that I use on my website because they work and I know they irritate some people. But at the end of the day, you want to get people on your mail list. You need to get people on your mail list to do business. So you might employ slightly irritating tactics like pop-ups because the payoff is worth the cost of irritation. Gated content where you uh, put leading content on Facebook. We see this a lot with newspapers where you'll see a link to an article. And then when you go to the page, they say, if you want to read the article, you got to buy a subscription or you got to enroll. Uh, so gated content, irritating, not really what I would call unethical. Sales funnels themselves. If you sign up for a newsletter and then you get this series of emails leading you towards some sort of a sale in the future, that is what I would classify as irritating. You know, when, when I was growing up, I grew up in the Catholic Church. And they had this beautiful set of rules as far as sinning went. You had venial sins and you had mortal sins. Venial sins were those sins that were bad and you had to make restitution for, but they didn't put your soul at peril. Mortal sins were things that were horrific that put your soul at peril. And so there was this, so there are, what we're going to talk about now as we move ahead, there's a few venial sins and there's more mortal sins in the unethical space. So, uh, so that's, that's the, that's my, that's my framework that I look at the unethical practices as we move ahead. I think that there's a, a slippery slope towards truly unethical online marketers. And the more of these checkpoints that you see coming from them, the more unethical they are and the probably less comfortable you're going to be. And uh, you're going to end up, you know, if you see the, if, if it, what do they say? If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. These are the things that are going to teach you that somebody is unethical as you start to listen to them. And the first is exaggerated claims. And they always do these, they always couch things like, I have multiple six-digit income off of this product and all of these sorts of things. So they're totally exaggerated claims that you recognize are not based in reality. You know, one of the things that I try and do myself, and it, it, I'm sure it's to my detriment in some ways, is never, never inflate numbers when we share them online. And I've actually done uh, talks, not, not typically online talks, but talks in person, where I've shared real figures, where I've said, this is what we actually earn from a video on YouTube. And the audience, I think, is, comes away slightly disappointed, but it also engenders respect because it's true transparency is in an increasingly, uh, is an endangered species in the online space. So if you hear somebody making exaggerated claims, recognize that most of the online community does, but the more that you're exaggerating your claims, it's the beginning of that slippery slope towards unethical practices, as well as creative facts where you, you just take kind of one statistic. And I, I, we see this in politics all of the time, but those are the beginning of the slippery slope. Now, something far more uh, germane to online marketing are shadow products. This is a technique that I see being taught a lot in the online course space where people will say, and some, some practitioners actually say, do a webinar, announce a product that you're going to create, an online course or a digital product, see how many people buy it, and if enough people buy it, then build it. Now that, to me, can be a completely unethical pro process. It can also be in some ways, it can also be, in some ways, be merely irritating, but here's when it becomes unethical. It becomes unethical, A, for somebody to teach that to people who have never delivered an online course and, or created the digital product and don't know what's involved and don't know if they'll ever be able to actually see their way through. If somebody who's created 10, 20, 30 online courses and digital products 
pre-sells a product that they're doing because of some, because it works better for them to do it that way. I don't have an issue with that. I think it's a questionable practice that puts yourself at risk, uh, but I've done it myself. There's been, there's been different products that it just worked for, but I knew I would be able to deliver in the end. If you've never developed a course before, to teach people to do that as a system, that to me is unethical. So shadow products, an unethical practice. One of the things that really bugs me is BS origin stories. Now, I know a lot of online marketers, and I, if I listen to some of their webinars, they give these origin stories of how they were broke and destitute, and, uh, and then they discovered this one secret that they're now selling to us. And I know it's a load of crap, because I know they were never in that situation, so they're making up BS origin stories, and they're always to, to tie the human interest side to your community. Now, real, real origin stories are compelling. I'll be sharing mine at some point. I don't want to say origin stories are not uh, because there are salient moments in different online marketers and different business lives. There's, there's important milestones that we all pass and sometimes they're really compelling stories to share. But the BS origin stories, and we've all heard them, <sighs> that's getting to, into unethical. And also, hidden affiliate relationships where you're going to benefit from somebody purchasing a product, especially in the review space or in the recommendation space, and you're, you're going to benefit and you aren't disclosing to your community that you're being compensated for that relationship. Um, that's one of the reasons that we always make sure kind of go overboard saying we're an affiliate for this product and we always put a text beside our affiliate links that it's an affiliate link. So if people want to go natively to the page and not and not compensate us, that's their, their product. And also it tells them how to take the information that we're delivering, knowing that we will be compensated if they choose to purchase that product. You know, this completely blew up with the Fire Festival, uh, where we had lots of social media influencers, especially on Instagram, posting that they were excited to go to this music festival that ended up being just a major league disaster, saying they were going and not disclosing the fact that they were being paid or they were being promised money, which was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of these social media influencers. And so their fans trusted the influencer. They bought tickets to this debacle and, uh, and the rules are changing. Now we, I mean, we do have to, uh, I know Instagram is now insisting on people talk, uh, posting that it's a promoted post in disclosing when they are being, when they're being compensated for a post. Uh, but that still happens in webinars and other spaces. People will still hide those affiliate relationships. So that's, uh, that, that those definitely start to tip over into the unethical practices area. Now, one thing that happens a lot when you do online webinars is you have hidden or forced upsells as well as, as well as kind of a clickbaity aspect of being brought to a webinar that doesn't actually deliver on their promises. Somebody not delivering on their promises, saying that they're going to teach you something and then not teaching you it, but trying to sell it to you. I don't know if I'd classify that completely as unethical. It's certainly distasteful, and I think it disqualifies you from doing business with that person. Some people might be influenced to still follow on with them, depending on how good their webinar is, but it's definitely not a practice that I would encourage, and I can't imagine any of you are going to participate in those practices. Where we reach now when we start talking about the next few uh, unethical practices is in each one of these, there is a mechanism that helps in the sales process to understand. Now they're being applied in what I consider to be an unethical format, but what could we learn from how they are applied? So the first is these hidden uh, uh, enforced upsells. So the mechanisms are things like countdown timers, uh, where you have, uh, which 
I find very distasteful saying, you know, you have to purchase in this period of time where the price goes up. It's a digital product. Why is the price going to be going up? It's only going up arbitrarily because you're trying to force me to make a decision. I understand wanting to force me to make a decision. And I understand the mechanisms that are in place there in the, in the, in the purchasing relationship. But I consider it to be unethical for you to arbitrarily set a timeline for, some, for a price. Um, now, if you're in a launch sequence where there's a product that's being dropped on a certain date and after that date, um, you know, things happen in a, such as live content delivery so that, there's, that, that you've built value in at that point, um, I can see changing the price or having a, uh, a countdown timer that you have to purchase by this point because we're going live. And if you're not on with us live, you lose the live aspect. So there is that. But for the most part, many of these things are just arbitrary. Another thing that people do an awful lot is they don't put clear pricing on their page. Then when you do purchase, when you do go to purchase, you go through a series of upsells to get the full value that they're talking about. This I consider to be an incredibly, incredibly unethical and they are very, very good at it. So they'll say, you're gonna, we're going to teach you X, Y, and Z and then they sell you a course for X at $97. But it turns out if you actually want to learn Y and Z, then those are upsells once you've already got your credit card out and you've purchased the course. And so they're not 100% transparent with you and clear in the process. It works really well for making money. I don't think it does an awful lot for your, for your credibility and your transparency as, as, as we go along. So that, that kind of partial functionality of selling something that's not full and complete, that is a completely unethical practice. But the lesson that we learned from this is that upsells do make more money. So if you do create a valued content and you can then sell based on that piece of content, but you do have other pieces of content that are related, once somebody's purchased from you, you can ladder them up into other sales and you can start to sell other products to them in services, especially in the same, in the, in the, in the same genre. So it's worth considering families of products as you put your digital products together, as opposed to just standalones. Or it's a good idea to segment your products into different, some different value propositions to get more value out of them. So that, that's kind of the lesson that we can learn from all of that. Related is false scarcity, is where they, where they say, you know, you have to buy it before this or it's not available anymore for no, again, for no good reason. Uh, where they have, like, we, won't, we are only limiting this to 15 copies of this. The first 15 people get this price. Again, uh, I kind of get the psychological aspect of that and the fact that you're encouraging people to jump on and take advantage. How much transparency is there really in if you are one of the first 15 people or not? Uh, so those things, I think you put yourself in a very difficult position as an online marketer by putting these kind of these, these false scarcity pieces in place. Uh, as well saying, you know, after this date here, the, the product's no longer going to be available. And again, if it's a evergreen product that you can sell at any point, why would it not be available after this date if I haven't purchased it by this time? Uh, what's the, uh, the only reason is, is to force me to get my wallet out more quickly and make the purchase. Now, what we can learn from false scarcity, though, is the fact that we do need to create some urgency for a sale. So people need to know that they're getting a good deal. They want to get the good deal and impulse buying does happen. So I think that you can really take advantage of those human traits by creating really compelling offers and you can build some scarcity into your product design if you're selling an online product. What I mean by that is 
I, when I sell my courses, always include a live component to the course. Now, I do that for two reasons. One of them is a very good practical reason. I like delivering content live, and I find more value in live for my community. But the other really compelling reason is I can say if you don't buy by Thursday, the course starts on Friday, you're going to miss out on the live components. And uh, now, of course, they can watch replays and all of that, but that is legitimate scarcity. The fact that there is a time frame for 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 the uh, for them to start, you can also set uh, scarcity in with the number of seats available. If you are, say, doing a tutorial, a, a, a course where you are going to be doing live training, but you're limiting the live training to thirty people because that's your Zoom license. And that's how many people you can have in the room. So you can say the first, you know, this is available. There's 30 copies of this available. And after that, you're going to have to wait till the next cycle. That creates scarcity. It creates the urgency and it helps people make their purchasing decision. All of those totally legitimate. Now we're going to get to my absolute favorite of unethical practices. And this is the one that got me on the ethical marketing bandwagon. This is the reason that I almost didn't do online marketing myself is the first couple of webinars that I attended where people were teaching things were faux webinars. They were fake webinars. They looked like they were live. The people tried to make me think that they were live and in real time, but they were in fact pre-recorded and all of the chat was baked in and all of the response. It was, and I recognized it right away. I don't know how they thought I was going to be fooled by it, but I recognized what was going on and I thought, what kind of relationship am I going to have with you if the very first words out of your mouth are a lie to me by saying, welcome to this live webinar, which is actually pre-recorded, and you're not live anywhere. You're having a coffee somewhere with somebody. It's, you're not even there. That, to me, was a, was a huge, huge moment, and I really struggled with the, entire, with the entire space as a result of this one type of webinar. Um, and you will see them. You will see them. And the tools, oh my gosh, the tools that we have now for creating webinars allow us to create a full webinar so easily and so effectively. Uh, to be honest, somebody that has as much webinar experience and skills as we do, I could put on a webinar and you would really be hard-pressed to tell whether it was live or not. It is, a, it is, to my mind, one of the, it undermines trust. And here's the thing, is it doesn't just undermine trust for you, but it undermines trust for all of us. Lots of people ask, when they come to our webinars for the first time, when we do Webinar Wednesday, they say, uh, is this live? Because they, they don't know, they don't recognize, you know, there's, there's so often that they've been engaged in webinars that aren't live. So they have a real issue with that. So that, to me, is, is, the, biggest, is the biggest challenge. Now, what does full webinars teach us? Well, they teach us one thing. They teach us that webinars work. If people are willing to put in, invest the time and put their reputation at risk be, to put them on, you know that they're converting into sales and they're, doing, they're meeting their business objectives. But it also tells us that customers are looking for access and engagement. We value real-time connections. That's the beauty of webinars is that real, that visceral engagement that happens within webinars. So that is the, you know, those are lessons that we can take. And I think with all of these unethical practices, that's the thing is when you see something that you're being manipulated by somebody as you kind of go on this journey into online marketing or into some sort of a side hustle, as you see something that compels you, but you're put off for some reason that your, your spidey senses are tingling, try and deconstruct it. Try and unpack what it is, the reason that you're feeling that way and what they've done to manipulate you into that situation. And then try and figure out if there's value in that, 
in that mechanism. And it's something that you can use in a more ethical fa fashion, and it works in your business. Uh, some cases you can just say, no, I, no matter what, that's just an unethical practice. And if that's the case, it's good to know. But there's other times where we can learn some lessons from it. And I hope today's uh, podcast taught you some of those lessons. And especially for those of you who are kind of on the fence and concerned about what's going to happen to your reputation should you engage in this online space. I hope I've given you some comfort in the fact that you can look with, um, you know, in the naked light of day at these practices, learn from them, and still carry forward in an ethical fashion with your own business and your own offering. Well, that's it for today. I hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you are so inclined, please leave a review. One of the things that really helps us out, I believe, on all of the podcast platforms is reviews. It tells the podcast providers that we are valuable content, and then hopefully that will help us surface more in search and recommend it. And we are looking to grow the Gray Matters podcast as much as we can. Till next time, I'm Steve Dotto. Have fun storming a castle. 